Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Interesting, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. You know what that's saying? That it's actually better to have somebody openly confront you and rebuke you than it is to have somebody who really loves you but doesn't say anything. It's basically carefully concealed. It's better to have somebody just get up in your grill in love. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Proverbs. If you are carrying a gun, there's a potential to do some damage, but concealing it doesn't lessen the effect that it could have. Today, Pastor J.D. helps you see that holding back or concealing something from a friend doesn't lessen the damage that could be done. Sometimes it's best to be out in the open and speak up. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Proverbs chapter 27 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Proverbs chapter 27. We're making our way through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. All right, let's jump in right out of the chute, verse 1. I told you I love this chapter, but... This is a doozy, if I can say it that way. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Uh, This is one of those proverbs that has led many to believe that the New Testament book of James is like the New Testament book of Proverbs because James virtually echoes this verbatim in chapter 4, where he says, be very careful. This is a very loose paraphrase, but here's the gist of it. He says, be very careful. You who boast about tomorrow, you say, hey, we're going to go into such and such a city. We're going to do business there. We're going to buy and sell there. We're going to make a profit there. (laughs) How do you know that? You don't know that. What you should say is instead, Lord willing. And here's why. Because your life is but a vapor. Some translations render it a mist. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. What makes you so sure? And not only about what you're going to do tomorrow, but that you're actually going to boast about tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. How do you know? What makes you so sure? Because you don't know what a day may bring forth. You know, this is not saying, this is important now, this is not saying that we shouldn't plan for tomorrow. We should always have plans, and we even see that in the book of Proverbs and really the entirety of Scripture. It's not that we shouldn't have plans, it's that those plans should not have us hold on loosely to those plans. You know, personally in my own life, I have long-term plans. I hold on loosely to those plans. I think it was Corey Ten Boom that uh, famously said, I've learned to hold on loosely to the things of this world, for I know not when they will be required of me. 
And she wasn't talking about material things. She was talking about loved ones, family members. Hold on loosely to everything. You don't know. Everything that we do, all of the plans that we have should always be prefaced with, if the Lord wills. Lord willing. We have plans. We're told to occupy until the Lord comes. You know, we've been given much, and to whom much has been given, much is required. So it's our plan, Lord willing. Lord, what do you want us to do with that which you've entrusted to us? Because I'm convinced that God would not have given to us had he known that we would not be faithful to do something with it. In other words, he would have given it to somebody else. It's replete throughout the parables that Jesus taught about the one in particular, a very key detail that uh, the master gives the bags of gold, if you will, to these servants according to their ability. So he gives one five, he gives one two, and he gives one one according to their ability. In other words, he gave the one five. Why? Because according to their ability, they could handle the five. He knew they would be faithful to make five more. Same thing with the two. And then to the one, according to their ability, he gives only one. Um, I didn't mean to go this far into it, but uh, while I'm there, I might as well. We talked about this prior in the Proverbs, that God will not give you something to do if he knows that you don't have the integrity and the commitment to follow through. The integrity of the upright will guide them. And it's an interesting word in the original language of the Hebrew. It carries with the idea of the high priest with the urim and the thumim, which is what they would use to determine and discern what God's will is. And so that's how they would make decisions. So the point of it is this, that God is not going to give you something if he knows that you have no intention of doing something with it according to your ability. So we have plans, but everything is preface. And it's not just tagging on Lord willing. There I, you know, I covered my bases. I checked the box. <laughs> Lord willing. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Whew, that was close. You said Lord willing. Okay, it's good now. No, it's not just something you tag on. No, it is a deliberate, intentional Lord, if you will, not my will be done, but your will be done. And is this not what was modeled for us by the Savior himself that night in the garden? Lord, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, that's my will, but not my will, but your will be done. I think everything we do, everything we pray, all of the plans that we have, have to be under the banner of if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Be very, very careful about just making these assumptions concerning tomorrow and this week, and this year, and next year, and the year after. Again, nothing wrong with having long-range plans, but hold on very loosely to them. God has editing rights. 
God has credentials, permission, login information to log into your account and make changes. And we need to let Him and not fight Him, because it's His will, not our will, that be done. Let's move on at this rate. We will not make it through this chapter. So verse 2. <laughs> this is a good one. Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. You know what this is saying, right? And we have this saying, don't toot your own horn. Right? That's what it's saying. You know, let somebody else toot your horn. Don't stand up there and toot your own horn. I mean, this in a way sort of ties into verse 1 in the sense that you're boasting about all the things that, you know, you've done. You know, you're just let me toot my own horn. No, stop tooting your own horn. <laughs> let somebody else do that. It certainly carries more weight than when you do it. Verse 3, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than both of them. Almost kind of gives you the impression that combined, heavier than the sand and the stone is the provocation of a fool. So I was thinking about this in 1 Samuel 25. We have this interesting account where David has this confrontation with a guy by the name of Nabal, Nabal, and his name means fool. Uh, not necessarily that his parents named him that. If they did, that would be very cruel. But that's what Nabal means, fool. And this man was the personification of a fool. And so David and his men approach Nabal and say, hey, you know, we've been kind of guarding your sheep and your flocks and kind of providing this protection for you. And uh, would you share with us some of the provisions for uh, my man? And Nabal's like, I don't owe you nothing. The provocation of a fool can weigh heavier, and it sure did for David, it can weigh heavier on you. I mean, it just, it gets to you, weighs heavy on you. And when he responds to David this way, David is incensed. He goes back, he says, guys, come on. I mean, we're going to get all of our weaponry and we're going to go back. We're going to kill him and everyone with him. That's the provocation of a fool a fool's wrath. And David in response now sets out with his men. And you know about his men, his 600 men. These were hardened warriors, man. And they're going now and they're going to kill him and his whole household. And who should intercept him but this Abigail, who we're told in the Scripture was, I mean, drop-dead gorgeous. This is his wife. Poor thing, married to a guy like that. And she says to her servants, get me all this food, get me the wine, get me all of these things. And she rushes out to meet him before he gets there. And she basically says, you know, I, I'm so sorry, you know, David. And, 
And here, please accept these provisions. And you know, my husband is a fool, you think, <laughs> and I know how he is. And, and uh, you know, please don't do this. And I know he's provoked you in his folly. And this is a heavy thing, and it's weighed heavy on you, and you want to retaliate. And she basically convinces him uh, to not do this. It's kind of interesting. It's a great account. I would really encourage you to, to, man, I tell you, Hollywood is so missing the boat when it comes to true stories. I would love for somebody to make a movie on just 1 Samuel chapter 25. It would be a wonderful feature film. Uh, Actually, don't let Hollywood do it because they'll botch it and (laughs) completely ruin it. But uh, so what happens is the guy dies. I mean, it's almost like God just said, okay, that's it. You're done. And then David marries Abigail. It's got everything that you want, right? You know, it's got, you know, murder and, <laughs> and it's a love story. And okay, let's move on. <clears throat> that was just verse three. Verse four, kind of along the same lines, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy. In other words, you know, anger, okay, it's cruel. Uh, It's a torrent, but you can deal with that. But who's able to stand before jealousy? It'll just eat your lunch. It'll eat you from the inside out. Covetousness and jealousy. Verse 5, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Okay. How true is this? Think about this. You are no friend to me if you're unwilling to speak the truth to me, knowing that it might hurt me. The truth hurts. But if you love me enough, you'll say something. If you're unwilling to do that, then you're not my friend. How many times does this play out? We're unwilling because we don't want to jeopardize the friendship. So we're not going to rock the boat. We're not going to ruffle any feathers. We don't want to offend them. And so we just basically tell them what they want to hear. We kiss up to them instead of confront them. And we're doing them no favors. Many years ago, there was this one individual, this is on the mainland, and I mean... (laughs) This individual was so obnoxious. I mean, he was just so irritating and annoying. And I thought to myself, does he know how he is? Does he not have anyone that is his friend? Probably not, because if he did have a friend, somebody would surely tell him he must not have anybody that loves him loves him enough to say to him, dude, (laughs) what is the matter with you? Well, I don't want to say that because they're going to get mad at me. 
They're going to unfriend me. Let them unfriend you. You know what I found? Is that initially they will resent it, but eventually they'll come around and appreciate it. And conversely, it works both ways. So (laughs) you might, you know, flatter somebody, kiss up to somebody, only tell them what you're no friend. That's not a true friend. In fact, you're not only not a friend, you're an enemy. If you're unwilling to tell them the truth, and you know it's going to wound them, but you love them enough to tell them that which is going to wound them, that's what a true friend is. And in your unwillingness, they might appreciate it initially, but I would submit to you that eventually they're going to resent it. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, because I thought you were going to get mad, and I knew it would upset you, and I didn't want to tell you the truth. Well, if you really cared, you would tell me. I mean, it doesn't give us a license to be, you know, harsh and, you know, mean. And I mean, you speak the truth in love because of love. If you really love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. You're going to speak the truth into their life. And here's the thing, verse 5, very interesting. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. You know what that's saying? that it's actually better to have somebody openly confront you and rebuke you than it is to have somebody who really loves you but doesn't say anything. It's basically carefully concealed. It's better to have somebody just get up in your grill in love. (laughs) Again, not a license to be harsh, but just lovingly say, you know, I love you enough to tell you this. And if I didn't love you, I, because I'm your friend and I care about you, I have to say this to you. You're a jerk. <laughs> In Jesus' name, you're a jerk. Pull. How dare me? What about you? Well, initially, again, they might resent it, but eventually they will so appreciate it. Let me say one last thing on this before we move on to verse 7. I think every single one of us should have at least one friend like this. I do. He's on the mainland. Talk to him every week. And we're going to see this again here in a moment later on in the chapter. But I know he really loves me and he cares about me because he'll speak truth to me. He won't hold back. And yeah, initially, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, just, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just, I receive that. You know, I thank, I thank you so much for pointing out that weakness in my life. No, I'm just like you. I'm combative. And well, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. Yes, you do. No, it's not, it's not that bad. No, it's worse than you think. <laughs> it is? I am? I am? I, I do? Yeah. Oh, just, it just, it, it hurts. But it's the truth. You know, and initially, I mean, I don't warm up to it. And well, it'll get kind of heated a little bit, you know, and I'll kind of go back and then I can do the same thing to him. And, you know, sometimes I say, well, you know, okay, well, while we're on the topic, <laughs> let's talk about you. You know, I just, that's my response. But I so appreciate it. In fact, it's to the point now 
where I actually look forward to it. And I know that if there's a blind spot in my life, this brother, this friend loves me enough to rebuke me openly and confront me honestly and wound me lovingly. And that's what the proverb is saying. Verse 7, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. In other words, uh, when you truly appreciate even the little things, everything is sweet. But if you're full and you're, you've tried to satisfy yourself with the things of this world, you're going to loathe every little thing. It's not going to appeal to you. You won't have any appetite for it. You loathe it. But when you're truly, genuinely grateful, there's a spiritual hunger in your soul and you appreciate, even if it's bitter, it'll be sweet because you're so hungry and appreciative. Verse 8, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. This is what is known as wanderlust. You know how it is when you kind of get antsy, discontent, and you start wandering and seeking out something to kind of be a little bit more exciting. This can happen in a marriage with a husband, with a wife, and they wander from their place. I think this speaks to the importance of contentment, being content. I've heard it said this way, when the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, fertilize your own grass. Fertilize your own grass. Verse 9, ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. They've actually done studies on this, and you might, when I say this, you might understand this, but the power of smell, the sense of smell, you know we have the senses, the touch, feel, taste, smell, hear, see, the smell, it goes right directly to a certain part of the brain, and it activates and triggers memories. That's why it is that a certain scent can be so powerful. It's easy to dismiss Old Testament books as ancient texts that hold little meaning for you today. However, there's plenty of application for your life right now in this modern world. The book of Proverbs is one that specifically provides advice, admonishment, and encouragement for your life as a follower of Christ. As you listen to Pastor J.D.'s message today, though, you may have realized that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's the case, we'd like to encourage you to change that right now. We have a simple guide that will tell you more. Just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on the ABCs of Salvation under the Resources tab. 
This will tell you why it's so important to put your faith in Jesus and how easy it is to start a relationship with Him. We'd love to hear from you too and we're available to answer any questions you may still have. Please get in touch with us through our contact form on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you join us for our worship services. Bring your friends and family along too. It's a great time of fellowship and learning about God with Pastor JD. Be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in again to continue studying the truths found in the book of Proverbs, right here on In Spirit and Truth. Truth, truth.